Welcome to Season 6 of the Do More Good podcast. A selection of interviews with the movers and shakers from the third sector and beyond, telling the stories of people doing more good. I'm James, fundraiser at Blood Cancer UK, Marie Curie and now a Sue Ryder. I'm also treasurer of the events fundraising group of the CIOF and Bexley Cross Country Champion 1994. And I'm Kenneth, currently Charities Lead at London Marathon Events and proud fundraiser from my time with Alzheimer's Research UK. 2007 New Media Age cover star, father of three football-obsessed children, village beer pong finalist and co-host of the Do More Good podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good podcast. Good, do more. Do more good podcast. Do more good podcast. That's what you want me to say. Yeah. You're okay. listening to the Do More Good podcast. All right, here we are, James, episode number 75 of the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, Kenneth. I'm good. Very well. Just before we jump into, are you in a pub garden? <laughs> I wish, mate. I oh. wish. Yeah, no, oh. I've not, not yet managed it. Not I yet, thought it was. Yet. I thought. I thought that was a two days in. As we will put this out in probably a couple of weeks, but we are on day two of the pub's opening. But have you celeb- been? I haven't been to the pub yet. No, I haven't. I might go after this. Who knows? Depends how how long t- this evening goes on for, and whether I can get a pass. But passes for some reason, you think we'd have loads of passes at the moment, but they're a bit few and far between. Oh. Oh, maybe it's all that golf. Uh, we've had some. We've had some big names on the on the show. That's like a big. Big deals in fundraising, BDIFs. But I want to know about the biggest celebrities that you have met outside of the sector in real life. Celebrities, that's a good question. You know, actually, my probably unique one, which is a little bit a little bit special if you love this film, Wesley Snipes. That's oh. big. Well, he's not. He's actually really small. <laughs> you know, he's one of them things. If you've seen Blade, and, and, and if we grew yeah. up of our generation, you know, you remembered Blade. And yeah, I just remember being how really did you, How did you meet Wesley Snipes? Oh, it was in a nightclub in Madrid. But, you know, that's another, wow. that's another story. Uh, but yeah, what about yours? Who's, who's yours? Who's, who's uh, top of the pile? Well, well you've, kind of, you've kind of done me there because I've got nothing compared to that. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm related to 90s superstar Carol Smiley from Changing Rooms. Wow. True story. True Good. story. I had a dance with Anton Dubeck. Nice. Real name, Tony Beck. And the one I want to tell you about, though, is Liz from Atomic Kitten, because I met her in a not in a nightclub in Madrid, but one in London. And I was with my brother and my brother said, I'm going to go and talk to her. I'm going to go talk to her. So he walked over and it was quite loud in there. And he leant forward to whisper in her ear and he he whispered to her, watch out, (laughs) watch out. People are throwing chewing gum around in here. And while he did that, he stuck a bit of chewing gum to his forehead and then leant back. Just kind of show her that that was the joke. She did not find it funny in the <laughs> slightest, and obviously that made it for me. That was just the best thing that could have could have happened. But yeah, that's I haven't got no one for the blade. You know oh, what? As I'm as good. I'm watching you talking, I can just see a little bit of Carol Smiley. In, <laughs> now. now you've mentioned it, that's going to stick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, we're back for another episode. We've been doing a few of the last few weeks. Hopefully, another good, great guest uh, who we can talk to and pry with some some questions. Should we crack on with the introduction and get on? With yeah, it? let's do that. Okay. Okay, so our guest this week has spent the last decade in the charity sector, predominantly on behalf of the NSPCC and Childline fighting for every childhood. Following a successful sales and marketing career in the media sector, working for brands such as the Daily Mirror newspaper and helping to relaunch the Big Issue magazine, it was the Big Issue where our guest got a thirst for the non-profit sector and made the switch to become a fundraiser at the NSPCC, specialising in sports. Since then, he has gone on to raise millions of pounds to protect children, forging partnerships with some of the UK's biggest brands including Lint, William Hill, Ladbrokes and many more. He now heads up the charity's talent and influencer team and is responsible for winning and managing award-winning high-profile partnerships including Ant and Deck, Jerry Horner and Wayne Rooney. And we met our guest through a, a mutual friend and as one of the most glamorous roles in the charity sector we'd ask him to join us to talk about the world of celebrity and influencer partnerships and the important role i guess that they play for, for many charities so really pleased to welcome tom lemons to the do more good podcast how are you doing tom thank you very much yeah i'm very well thank you pleasure to be a part of the do more good podcast thank you very much for having me 
No worries. Ever been in a bar and stuck chewing gum to your forehead? I can't say no. <laughs> I can't say I have. Uh, but I, I can imagine that was quite funny, though. I'd have been laughing at that joke. I'm a, I'm a fan of bad jokes. So, yeah, I like that. But my, 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 my celebrity, my partner, my girlfriend, is actually second cousins to Liam Neeson. Uh, oh. so, so on the subject of familial relationships with celebrities, then, you know, Liam Neeson takes some beating, I think. Gosh, yeah, you two have totally trumped my poor Carol Smiley. <laughs> yeah. First question for you. Which one of, of those pr- previously mentioned celebrities would you pick for your role at the NSPCC? I mean, I'm guessing you're going to go Wesley Snipes, but I'm not sure which one would you which one would you take? Uh, I think we've done some stuff with Carol Smiley, you know. Oh, okay. oh. That's why it brought a little smile to my face. Excuse <laughs> the pun. I'm pretty sure we did something... You know, six or seven years ago, where she attended one of our racing fundraisers that we used to do on a circuit up in Bedfordshire. Good so yeah, stuff. I'd go Carol, and yeah, she's got a fan base. She's um, you know, she's a you know, '90s queen, really, isn't she? TV queen, changing rooms and all that. Exactly, exactly. She Good is. stuff. Yeah. She is. So Tom, we heard a little bit in the in the intro there just about your your trip into the sector or your journey, and you started off outside of the sector and then came in and joined the NSPCC. Can you? Talk us a little bit about that. How did how did that come about? You work with a big issue, etc. Yeah, yeah. I, I I graduated with a degree in marketing. I went straight down to London as you do, and, and got into full time employment in London. I found myself working for the Daily Mirror. My job there was to sell media solutions, so advertising space in the newspapers. Apps were becoming a big thing at the time, and obviously digital advertising was a huge part of any brand's marketing repertoire as well. So, yeah, I, I, I was working with some really big brands trying to satisfy and solve their problems in terms of reaching the Daily Mirror's audience, which back then was, was quite big. Newspapers have obviously suffered a hell of a lot over the last decade. So they're not as powerful as they used to be. But certainly the, the online space is where I was working at the time was just sort of starting to, to really build some really big impact for brands. And there was a lot of Client entertainment, which is a, for want of a better phrase, part of my job was to to look after the clients that were spending money with us, to to really try and get them the best deals possible, and and really try and take their brand from down here to up there, using the Daily Mirror as a vehicle for that. And then I, I found my, I I came across an opportunity that I just really couldn't turn down, and it was with the Big Issue magazine, doing a similar role for them that I was doing at the Daily Mirror, but trying to bring the big issue into the 21st century a little bit. As you know, the big issue is sold by people um, without home um, on the streets. They buy the magazine for £1.50, I think it is now, um, and then they double the price and sell it and they keep the profit and they try and build their sales over the course of the week to try and get themselves some shelter. And I was brought in because the magazine was about to go out of business, which would be a huge shame because it's a kind of, a bit of an institution I yeah. think and we really needed a way to keep it keep it going and to keep it functioning for all these people that were selling it on the streets so it came under the publishing house Dennis Publishing where I was employed and we really worked hard to kind of give it a commercialized platform so we sold advertising space in the magazine did some really good stuff on the website we sold big marketing packages uh, to big brands and we took it again. We we we. I'm not saying we saved it. There was a lot of people behind it, but certainly the commercialising of the big issue magazine from a, an advertiser's point of view really kind of made sure that magazine was was still here today. And now I, I got kind of talking about volunteering with the magazine and doing a bit behind the scenes as well. And and I went out and spoke to a lot of the the homeless people that were selling it and under, you know understood the reasons why they were homeless and all that. So it really got kind of like the stories behind why they were doing it. And that really gave me a, a kind of flavour to, to to look elsewhere in the sector and, and to really try and change careers and change direction. You know, I personally at the time, I was going through quite a lot of mental health problems at the time, anxiety. A lot of that was to do with late nights and taking clients out and all that sort of stuff. So for me, it was a, a kind of a positive change of direction, which meant, you know, the NSPCC came my way. 
And you moved to the NSPCC, was it around 2013? And since then, you've been working with some really big names, so celebrities and sports teams and that sort of thing. Um, how has that changed over the, the past eight years? It, yeah, it's changed a hell of a lot. I mean, we the charity sector, I think many people agree, sometimes can feel a bit behind the corporate commercial sector. It can feel a lot slower than what big brands, you know, the, the pace that big brands operate at. And obviously there's good reason for that. There's you know, capacity, resource, money, um, and all that sort of thing. So we use talent to try and help us plug that gap and try, and ele- you know, try to elevate our brand and our cause and our purpose to, to new heights that, that brands often pay for to get there. And over the last eight years, I guess, the charity sector, I think, has taken a lot more notice of how talent and influencers can have real tangible impact on their on their organizations i think when i first joined the sector it's still very much let's get a celebrity at this event let's get a picture of them with a glass of champagne in the hand and a logo board behind them and that's it that's done that's the partnership that's the activation but i think now we are shifting towards more of the an influencer marketing mindset like most brands are and I think we kind of especially at the NSPCC we've caught the influencer marketing wave at the right time I think we're we're on a we're on a, a platform now that is that, that is the same as where brands are at with it as well don't need huge amounts of money to to achieve good things with influencers you just need good ideas and good mm-hmm. stories and I think we've learned that over the last eight years is that we we need to treat these celebrities not just as assets, but we need to treat them as donors, major donors, like we would if they were donating hundreds of thousands of pounds, but they're just donating their time. And we need to steward them in a way that appreciates that. And that wasn't happening, but that now is happening, I think, I think in the sector. We're treating them with a lot more respect and we're building better partnerships as a result. We've talked in the past on on previous shows around corporate partnerships and how aligning with another brand, you've got to have the similar sort of values that supporters will see through that if if it's not an authentically sort of aligned objectives. Do you, I think you were touching on that a little bit there, but do you find that with, you've got to find the right kind of people that align with the NSPCC. They're not there just for the photo shoot that actually they passionately believe in the cause and align with it. That Exactly. Yeah. I think, yeah, the public are savvy, aren't they? Like they're just gonna see straight through something that they feel is gonna be a bit of a PR stunt for that celebrity to grow their brand. We, we're trying not to just go for people because they're popular or because they've got a million, you know, millions of followers, and you know that they, they have to have some sort of connect. They don't have to be abused as a child or a survivor of, of abuse. Although we do work with those types of people, they just need to be someone who is passionate, who is someone that can articulate what the other species he does, and someone that's just going to give us the time and the interest. I think that's the very least that we expect from partners. Any partner is someone that's just interested in what we do and interested to see how they can help us achieve better things for children. Mm. So I want to just, just, just jump back a second. I mean, James mentioned that you've had, you know, eight years at the NSPCC, mentioned during the interview that it's probably one of the most glamorous jobs in the sector. <laughs> He's laughing at the moment. But, you know, I'm sure there's people that are listening to this thinking, oh, I'd love to get into that. You know, I can just remember, and I'm sure he won't mind giving me giving him a shout out, uh, Lloyd Vaughan, who I used to work with at Alzheimer's Research. You know, when Lloyd walked in the office, he was just, you know, he was the guy with all of the connections. <laughs> so if there is people listening to this, what can you tell them about your last eight years of how you've navigated your, your career and what are some of them skills that you've needed that have helped you do that? Firstly, it's it's not all glamour at all. <laughs> Far from it. Like it's really it's most of the day, you know, working with agents, publicists behind the scenes, and very little actually is working with the talent themselves. Percentage terms, I'd say, you know, it's probably ninety-seven percent not working with the talent at all, and three percent working with the talent. So it just gives you an idea of it's not hobnobbing with with all these different um, celebrities and influencers. It's it's far from that. But there are times and if we get the projects right there are times when it is like that and it is great and we, you know we're, we're at these events and we're doing some amazing things 
Um, I'm not just talking about the, the, the kind of black tie dinners. I'm talking about something, you know, for example, we've got a partnership with Harrods and we set up, we're working with Harrods each year to set up a pop-up shop, the, the most luxurious charity pop-up shop that the UK has ever seen. So Harrods donate lots and lots of used clothes. So all the, you know, these amazing labeled clothes and we create this space in London where we use, um, we always sell these, these amazing pieces of clothing and we get celebrities come down and we have like, them working on the tills we have them restocking the shelves and you know we have them um, attend a, a launch party and a closing party and all those sorts of things it's just an amazing project and, and those types of things I really love as, as opposed to kind of like you know being backstage at an event and try, you know just managing them day to day and all that, that sort of thing so yeah th there are things that I really enjoy but it's not all it's not all like that. <laughs> we'll believe you. Yeah. We'll believe you. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it isn't. But as I say, Tom, going back to, you know, your career and how have you, how have you found that? Like, I mean, would you, what, what tips would you give if there's someone listening that's thinking, oh, I'd like to, to get into that? What are some of them skills that someone maybe needs? Well, I, a lot of it, one of the misconceptions is in, in my role in the sector and in the charities that you need a lot of contacts and you actually don't. Like, I came into this job as I went straight into there being the head of talent influence partnerships, I guess most job specs for other charities might say you need a hefty contact book, but you don't like, you just don't need that. You just need an ability to be able to build authentic relationships with varieties of different people. So not necessarily the talent themselves, but agents and there's, you know, there's, there's easy ways to find contact details. That's not the be all and end all. Yes. Obviously, you know relationships that uh, if you've got those then it's advantageous but it's not crucial in any respect I would never expect anyone that I'm employed into my team to have a huge black book of contacts underneath them I just think I, I, I would much rather them be able to build an, an authentic relationship with someone that they don't know uh, and have that skill over a, a, an existing book of contacts so I think that's the first thing that's the misconception that everyone has and I'd say that don't let that put you off. It might feels like a bit of a niche area, but actually it's just relationship building, which basically all fundraising is, is just relationship building. So it's just another side of fundraising or working at a charity. I guess uh, you have to be, I think you, you do have to have insight into lots of different areas of, of marketing. I think that's really part of, a key part of it. Obviously, influencer marketing, you need to have you need to have a handle on that. That is becoming such an important part of how a charity operates in this part of fundraising or awareness raising. So having a kind of overview of the different areas and different principles of marketing, influencer marketing, and looking at the marketing mix and really kind of understanding that and how you can harness influence from people of profile in all those different areas of the marketing mix is a really a really key area that I've, again, I, I never knew before I came into the job. No one ever said to me that you need these things, but these are the things that I've learned have made part of my armory as we've, as we've moved forward. You talked there about how only 3% of your, of your time or your day is spent with the talent. That is still approximately 3% more than my day is, uh, <laughs> is spent with the talent. But what, what do you mean? It... What, not, not today, obviously. Well, obviously, apart from the evenings. <laughs> apart yeah, well, from the yeah. evenings, guys. Yes, count. of course. Yeah. But what does, your, what does your day look like? Do you work around campaigns and will you speak to certain celebrities around particular campaigns and build up to those? And, you know, you talked there also about relationship building as well. Does your day involve a little bit of schmoozing here and there to keep those relationships in the right place and ticking over and checking in and that sort of thing? Yeah, I, 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 what I enjoy about my role is and what I do most throughout the day and what I, you know, apart, I'm not going to mention any of the admin stuff because that's, that's you know, boring and that's everyone's part of everyone's role. But I, I really enjoy, I really enjoy making or immersing an influencer or a celebrity and their agent and their management teams into a campaign from the very beginning and making them feel it and making them input into it and to help them sort of shape it. And we've got the autonomy and the license to do that at the NSPC because they've seen it happen and be successful before. So what I try and spend most of my time doing is, is, is doing exactly that, working with our marketing and campaigns teams and policy teams and 
working with the agent and the talent often to really carve something and create something that is not only impactful and, and is going to you know, gain a lot of traction outside the organisation and the public, but it's something that the talent can be really proud of and be really behind and really sort of integrated within all facets of it rather than just you know they're going to tweet about it or they're going to put it on their instagram story and, and it's that's the bare minimum that we expect from from someone supporting a campaign so i might yeah my the fun part of my role i think is is that and that's what i try and spend most of my time doing is, is really trying to integrate the talent into it because you just see them you know that you just see a completely different side of them they don't realize that they're allowed to do that Mm. Um, they think oh no that's the charity side they're the experts I won't be able to input or offer my input on that sort of thing because that's that's the, the charity do but once you say to them we want your opinion we want you to you know how is this going to land with your your followers and how do you think this will land with the press and sometimes they come up with the most amazing ideas and we move forward with them and, and yeah that's what that's what I try and do because that's that's how you bring talent closer and you, you, you forge longer term partnerships I think because at the moment, I guess influencers get a bit of a bad rep, right, in, in general mainstream media. But whenever I've listened to, to conversations or podcasts with, you know, various, I was listening to one the other night, a lot of them are very savvy and very smart and switched on to what who their audience is, what their audience like, when they should contact them, how to make la- the messages land, land best. They're professionals almost, you know, they just haven't got got a degree or whatever. They're, they're, they've learned their trade. And I, I suppose that that level of insight can be really useful for you as a charity that doesn't understand that audience. Yeah, exactly. We, we, we very rarely create lots of direction and instructions on how to post on behalf of the NSPCC. These people are content creators at the, at the end of the day. They Perfect. create their own yeah. content and know their own audiences. So who are we? to tell them how to speak to their audience. It's like them telling the NSPCC how to speak to our donor base. Yeah. Um, so, and we, we just don't do that. And, and I think they respect that from us. Even brands, like they, they, are st- they still fall into the trap of being overly directive with influencers on their briefs. And mm. I know that they're paying them a lot of money and we're not, but I think you get, the be- you get better things out of people if you just leave that, if you give them a brief and you let them you let them interpret that brief with regards to who their audience is and how they and how they feel fits best. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's what we that's what we try and do as well. We 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 really try and hopefully get them to create something that they feel will land best with their audience. Because at the end of the day, we want to engage with that audience with our message. Mm. So yeah, the influencer is is the person that knows best in that situation. Can I ask a really basic question around that? What does having a celebrity on board bring to the to the charity? Is it around that reach, a different audience perhaps for the charity? Yeah, we do a lot of audience demographic breakdowns. So we've got tools to help us assess different influencers, different celebrities, audiences on, online. Like Top Trumps? Do you have scores on them? You train <laughs> yeah, them in the office? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. I mean, uh, it's, but it's not all about who's got the biggest audience. It's who's got the most, like, you know, we, we talk about engagement rates and things like that. And there's various different methods to, to work out engagement rates on, on social media throughout the industry. And I don't think the industry's got that, got that standard yet, but we, we do it in our own way. And, and quite often we, we get the best results from people that haven't got the most followers we get the best results from people who have just got the most engaged followers and we we land the message with them really really well and in a way that we know that they like to digest information and that equals more click-throughs or more calls to actions and and helps us reach our objectives a lot quicker so yeah so we we do a lot of that a lot of audience assessment and and it is a bit of a science behind that sort of thing and and it depends on the campaign that you're working on as well and who it's supposed to target and what I can see Kenneth smiling at me because he knows <laughs> that I, in my head I'm trying to work out what my what my reach is, what my engagement level is. And so far, out of everything you've mentioned, I'm, I'm pretty low. All of them are, are low percent. <laughs> <laughs> I can just see you stirring away waiting to make a joke about how a tiny niche audience of this podcast is really engaged. You know, yeah. that was that was crying out for there. Uh, Tom, I want to go... You mentioned earlier about, you know, you often work with celebrities around either raising awareness or raising funds. 
and you know there's this ongoing debate and you know and, and battle i guess in 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 the sector in in some organizations i think it's all quite playful around brand messaging and fundraising yes we're all fundraisers we all want to raise uh, money for the cause but how do you guys manage that in the team because i can imagine you have conflict certain time that this is no this is about more going to align with the brand this one's maybe more of a fundraising ask can you talk to us a little bit about that how that comes up we used to be very we used to be solely actually focused when i first started there was no we had no objective to raise money in my team through wow. celebrities which looking back is is astounding really considering yeah. the amount of money that we've raised since then since we changed that yeah, um, you know, it just feels like years of missed opportunity have just gone by, but we've changed that now. So I would say it's 50-50. It is, it is 50-50 in the team, in my team at the minute and in the organisation that, you know, celebrities 50% of the time are raising money for us, 50% of the other time they're, they're, they're lobbying government or they're backing campaigns or they're raising awareness of our behavioural change campaigns, etc. There is no formula to it. It's just what is most appropriate for that celebrity or influencer at the time. We do say to anyone that partners with us officially, so an ambassador or one of our campaigners, we do set them certain things that they have to achieve during the year to make sure that they are still worthy of their title. We, we think our title is a privilege. You know, mm. To be called an NSPCC ambassador for childhood, that is a real privilege to be able to be given that title. And with that comes a set of criteria which the talent have to abide by throughout that year mm. and achieve on our behalf or on children's behalf. So, yeah, those those things are a mixture of fundraising and awareness campaigns. And, and we'll, agree, we'll sit down with the agent and, and the talent themselves and, and work out what those things are based on what their passion areas are, based on what they want to achieve, based on what they think they can achieve, based on what they're good at. Mm. expertise is their old audiences etc so yeah it's a, it's a case by case basis dependent on the on the talent themselves yeah as kenneth says it is a bit it is a bit of a kind of jokey comparison because the two work so well together don't they that you raise your brand by raising money and you raise more money by by raising your brand you know they and but i love that point around the celebrity in question earns their place as an ambassador that actually that values the charity we were talking about it a few episodes back actually we can short sell the charities a little bit because we're so happy to have carol smiley fronting a campaign for you actually she needs to up her game because you're giving her that level you're giving her that credence and that that we're not short selling the, the, the charities on that front we, we have that ethos running right through the nspcc we don't ever sell ourselves short we've been around for 140 years nearly Mm. Uh, protecting children throughout the UK and protecting, you know, we, we protect and save lives of millions of children in our time. We should never, it's a privilege to work there, let alone a privilege to support it as a, as a support of a donor or a, a corporate partner. So I think that, that, that is an ethos that I try and still into my team is that we should never settle for second best. Yeah, we, we do. We do very much the same, Tom. You'll be pleased to hear with the Do More Good podcast. Uh, we have, you know, we have three listeners out there. Usually one of them will click on a link. So, uh, yeah, you know, we're, we're very careful about who we give that, that massive platform. <laughs> Jimbo is off at the bar, which makes a change and means I can tell you about the website, domoregood.uk. There you'll find profiles, blog posts, previous episodes and a link to the newsletter, if you fancy some VIP content in your inbox. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Do More Good Pod. Plus, you can find us on LinkedIn. We've even started a TikTok. Anyway, he's on his way back. Hang on a minute. Are they shandies? I'm interested, Tom, just in regards to the psychology. And, and you know, you talked about the importance of being able to build meaningful relationships with not only the talent because you know that we know that the talent is normally behind three or four different agents managers whatever before before you get there but when you do sit down with the talent and you know you may be talking to them about a campaign can you a social influencer for example how do those kind of question or those kind of discussions normally happen if you were actually sitting down with one can you just talk a little bit about that i, I do use a lot of my sales training from back in the day i do ask a lot of questions of them first rather mm. than I, I do want to find out and unpick and get under the skin of why the nspcc for them like put them on the spot a little bit 
you know, what, what is it about us that you like and want to support? Like, what is it just because you hate child abuse and you want to end it just like we do? Or is it because you're a parent and want to, you've got kids now and, and you want to, your mindset's changed in your, in your lifetime, your, where, where you are in your life and you think about children a little bit more and the protection of them. Like, what is it that kind of attracts you to the NSPCC? And, and normally that, that really opens up a good conversation then because sometimes they just don't know sometimes they're just like I, I, you know i've always you know my mum always supports the nspcc i always remember nspc leaflets come through my house or i saw child line at school and you know those sorts of responses but then you really get under the skin of someone and, and they might even disclose and say i was actually abused when i was mm. you know when i was a teenager or when i was in primary school my sports coach abused me and you get some really honest and really in-depth reasons as to why they they want to support you so i do think rather than just assuming and just going along with oh great i'm just being happy with them supporting us i think it's really important to get under the skin really early on as to why they want to support us because then that shapes their journey moving Mm. forward because if we do find out that they've been abused there's a real strong process that we need to go through as a responsible charity in operating in the child abuse sector section that we that we need to take them through and mm. that shapes their support journey following that um, because then we'll put them in more of a campaigning role because they've got that experience that you know they're a survivor of abuse so they're able to talk from a place of much more authenticity and credibility as opposed to someone that just wants support because their mum and dad did when they were young that's still a reason, but it's a different journey throughout their supportive life with us that we need to take them on. Opening up a conversation like that is a really easy way, I think, to to get the answers that you need to get loads of answers in, in one after one question. Yeah, it's a really interesting question, Kenneth, because you were talking, Tom, about how you might talk to the agents and you spend much of your time kind of negotiating with the, with the other people in that relationship. How early on do you meet, I don't know, you meet Wesley Snipes and actually, because presumably that into that first chat, there's a lot riding on that. They have to give you the right answers there where maybe, I don't know, you've been negotiating for a month before then with the other people involved to then finally meet someone and think yes or no, whether that's right. How early will you? Will you yeah. Meet? So it normally is the agent the publicists that are the gatekeepers and you have to kind of you know these people don't necessarily support your charity they might you know might have a, a massive affiliation with cancer research or a, a medical charity in which case you're fighting a battle from the very beginning because you're trying to get you know hundreds of other charities are trying to do the same thing trying to get these celebrities to support them so you're trying to cut through all of that noise to the to the agent and trying to put your charity as the number one that your their clients should support but i think this is when it comes down to a little bit of knowing your audience and knowing the role of an agent and knowing that they are working on behalf of the client to try and get their career from here to here so how can the nspcc help the agent take their career from here to here uh, or the publicist how can we give them more publicity or better publicity as well and I think understanding that that is the agents and publicist role really helps you in your conversation with them from very early on so it's using language to again back to sales stuff it's just using the right language and knowing your audience to adapt that language to get what you want some might say it's manipulation but <laughs> I don't <laughs> I think and, and that that works for me so and then you, you know once you've got the age and, and on board and you've got a really good idea that connects with their client and and really is bespoke to their client it's not just another thing that you're copying and pasting and sending out to all these different agents because that still happens unbelievably so for instance with Wayne Rooney so six seven years ago when he was captain of Manchester United and captain of England and you know he had all these young lads following him looking up to him and idolizing him that's when we got Wayne on board and I remember speaking to Wayne's agent and I actually said to him, I wanted to, I wanted Wayne to do something for us, but a one-off thing for a campaign that we were running. So I wanted Wayne to use his social media for, and, and it was a, a basic ask basically. And, and I spoke to the agent, got through to the agent really quickly, actually, I'm like really unexpectedly. And I don't know if you know Wayne's agent, Paul, but he's very demanding character and he's got no time. So you need to really get to the point really quickly. 
and I was speaking to him and he just he was just like nope 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 and put the phone down. I was like, hang on a minute, like we're only asking we're only asking Wayne to post a picture of himself like when he was a kid and and tell the story behind the photo. So I rang it back. I said, Paul, sorry, mate. Do you mind just letting us know why? Like, we really want to get under the skin as to why you, you wouldn't want to do this for Wayne. And he, and he actually said, well, actually, I'm glad you've run back because we want to do a bigger thing, a bigger partnership with a charity and pick one, one charity to work with for Wayne. So if you've got anything on longer term, then let us know. So he basically invited us to pitch. So we created in, in a couple of months a really solid pitch. We had to go up to Manchester and, and stand in front of Wayne and Wayne had to kind of ask his questions and all that sort of stuff. And, and we ended up winning it and it's raised you know, a million pounds since then. So just wow. so if, if we if we would have picked up that phone back again and rang him back, that would have never have happened. Is that yeah. the biggest, is that, I mean, other than this one, is that the biggest phone call of your career? That's such a call. I think it possibly could have been because the amount of money that partnership with Wayne has raised and the awareness yeah. and, and stuff that we've done with him over the years has been really, really good. Yeah. Um, really good for the charity. So, yeah, that probably was. I mean, you talk, it's interesting, Tom, sales has come up a couple of times, hasn't it? And and, and I came from a kind of commercial background, actually not similar uh, background to you in terms of around kind of media companies in my early career and understood what some of those parties and the reason I ended up in a nightclub in Madrid is because I was working for some of those companies and met Wesley Snipes, but that's for another episode. But just talking about sales techniques, you know, some of the psychology it's not a it's not a conversation I'm hearing a lot in the sector around fundraisers actually being salespeople because you know we tend to avoid it, don't we? But we are selling something there, and and I think you know having been on a number of kind of sales courses over over my career, you know you get some real gems from there that you can take on and apply. And I just as you're talking, I just wonder if it's something that should come to the forefront a little bit more when kind of you know, working with kind of younger fundraisers or people very early in their career, but actually giving them some solid skills to, to kind of fall back on. I think so. I think, mm. I, I, I think it's, there's no, I, I can only speak from a, an NSPC point of view, but at the NSPCC, I always look at the fundraisers and the ones that have come from the commercial sector are always the ones that do really, really well, like above and beyond expectations and, and hit targets left, right and centre because Selling what the NSPCC does is really easy. No one wants child abuse. There's no, there's no one out there that wishes child abuse could stay. So it's, it's all those intricacies of the sales process that follow that. You've got mm. the, the meat and two veg. It's like, how do you pour the gravy on top of that? It's like, how, how do we get from, from that to up here? If only we had some budget to kind of really properly sales train our, our fundraisers and do it properly then everyone could have access to that information that knowledge and we do a lot of in-house training actually um, a lot of the more experienced fundraisers train the new fundraisers so we, we are getting getting better at that but I think yeah formalized salesy type technique training across the sector would be would be incredibly powerful and I think you'd see you'd see the impact in a matter of you know months I think We'd have to get a friend of the show, Ben Swart, on it and his training. I'm sure you. I've, just... I've I've been I've been on many Ben Swart training sessions and. Oh, maybe you wouldn't recommend them then. No, maybe he's not the right. <laughs> I would always recommend Ben. Um, he's he's great at what he does, and yeah, I love Ben. He's he's very enthusiastic and one of the most passionate about the NSPCC as you'll ever likely to find. But he's he's like the the master at all of that. Yeah. Spoken about. He's the master of winning pitches and designing pitches and, and talking to people about what we do is brilliant yeah give him a shout out tom you know look thank you because there's loads of brilliant stuff that you've you've just talked about and i think lots of useful tips lots of insight that i didn't know i've certainly learned a few things i'm sure the same from james and as we said at the start you know yes the celebrity manager department has a bit of a glamour around it but you know it's really interesting to hear from you just the kind of inside story how it works how you go about building those relationships but you know we won't let you go just yet I've got one more question before we come on to some quick fire questions and I, my one question is come on what is the best experience you've had through your role where you just looked at yourself in a mirror somewhere and just went what the f am I doing here with this uh, I would probably say it's um it's it's having tea and cake with Jerry Horner 
uh, or Halliwell, because a lot might know her, Ginger Spice, at her house in in Highgate. <laughs> she's got this beautiful house in Highgate. And any time that we work with Jerry, she's always, she's always, oh, don't phone me, just come around my house. So I'm like, and, and this was very early on in the partnership. And it, it was the first, and I was, I remember I was crapping myself going around Jerry Horner's house because I just remember, like, from my childhood, like, yeah, of course, Ginger Spice, Ginger Spice <laughs> isn't it, lads? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sitting, I'm sitting in Jerry's house on big plush sofas, and she's come, she's come and sat there. I said, "Hi, Tom, how you doing?" And just spent an afternoon having tea and cake, homemade cakes around hers, just talking about all sorts. Nice. Yeah, really bizarre, but amazing. <laughs> and she's, she's brilliant. Yeah, blimey. I saw but her. I think her house was on the the new, the latest um, Netflix. Which well, F- <laughs> house? <laughs> Probably, yeah. I think it was. Well, it looked like a. I'm sure it was in. Seems to remember it's in Highgate, but for the 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 latest season of the the F1 doc on Netflix. Yeah, with um, Christian. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, I'm sure Christian was kind of back, maybe maybe a different one, but I get get the idea. Sorry, yeah, James. Chris, Chris, Christian's a big supporter of ours as well. He does a lot, you know, donates a lot of F1 stuff to auctions and things like that. He, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Mm-hmm. You talked there a little bit about fundraising and how the best fundraisers are salespeople. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your fundraising? You're up to a bit of a challenge at the moment, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, there's 15 of us. We've called ourselves the Charity Lads, <laughs> uh, which sounds a bit lame but we um, are doing quite good things at the minute so basically the, the, the story behind it is it's it, one of our mates we all went to the same university together uh, in Lincoln and we all met there sort of 15 years ago whenever it was and one of the lads he he got an earache back in October and he sort of said to his wife you know, I've got an earache it's probably an infection it's, it's going on longer than I thought and his wife said, oh, just, you know, go to the doctor, just get it checked out. But during the pandemic, you couldn't go to the doctor. You could just do it over the phone. And they, they gave him a prescription for antibiotics. He took them. It didn't go away. Kept on at the GP and said, um, you know, this is not going. Well, my face is starting to hurt now. I've got a toothache, et cetera, et cetera. It ended up sending him to, to hospital, to A&E, because they couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. So fast forward a couple of weeks, three weeks of you know, being turned away from A&E and saying it was something different. His face paralysed. Half of his face just completely dropped. His eye dropped. Uh, his mouth dropped. His cheeks all drooping down. Obviously, he thought he had a stroke. Um, he's only 34. Fit, healthy, plays rugby every weekend. PE teacher in a secondary school. Goes to the gym. Just thought it would never happen to him. Um, it wasn't a stroke. He went back to A&E. They said it was Bell's palsy, but it actually wasn't. Um, if they had diagnosed him properly and done all the tests, he would have been diagnosed what it was, which is Ramsey-Hunt syndrome, which is a form of shingles in his facial nerve. If you are given antiviral drugs within a certain period of time, it gets better really quickly. But because they misdiagnosed him, he still has problems now with his face and he can't do a lot of things that he used to be able to do. Because of the pandemic and NHS's ability at that time was was lower than it ordinarily would be, he sought help from a very small charity, just one person behind it, called Facial Palsy UK. And they really, really helped him. They set him up with appointments with specialists on, on his behalf, you know, no worries at all. Gave him all the details, gave him physiotherapy for his face and all this sort of thing. They really, really kind of helped him back on his feet, really. And the charity said to us in one of our meetings with them, because we said we we're going to raise two grand for them. And they said, actually, well, that's great. That's like amazing for us. And actually we said, well, we'll probably raise a bit more because they told us a bit more about the charity. So we upped it to five. And then a couple of weeks later, when we hit five grand and we said to them, you know, we've raised this money. We haven't even done, the, we haven't even done anything yet, really. Um, we've only been doing it three or four weeks and we've raised five grand. They said, well, we've just had some news that we're probably going to be closing down like we're not going to be able to function for much longer unless we can raise a quite substantial amount of money so we've changed the target to try and help them exist (laughs) so it's become a bit of a a, yeah we thought we're going to raise just two grand and that'd be done and we've done our bit (laughs) and then we'll just we'll just do a bit of running around the norfolk broads to something a bit bigger and now we're we're in the business of trying to save this tiny charity from going under so we're on about eight and a half grand 
we've set ourselves a target of 25 grand to raise by the end of the year. We think we can do it. Uh, we've got enough enough about us and enough things going on that we can just pivot towards a fundraising thing. The main event in it is is running 30 mile, 50k around um, the Norfolk Broads on June June the 12th. There's 15 of us doing it, and yeah, we've got social media a social media campaign. We've got uh, a press and PR campaign behind us. Um, we've been on BBC. We've been on all sorts of different local, regional newspapers highlighting what we're, we're doing. And it's been great. And we've, you know, we've had a lot of people back us. Oh, and a lovely thing amazing. to do, support your friend as well. Yeah. Yeah. He, that yeah, sounds amazing. He, he's, he's overwhelmed with it, to be honest. I think we go, we go at it too much sometimes, but it's only because we care. So yeah. No, you must be getting a lot of the responsibility yeah. though, Tom, as the, as the, prefer, as the charity guy, surely honestly, you're the one that honestly, everyone's coming to. Honestly, I, I, my phone has been glued to my hand for the, like the last six weeks to the point where my partner's just been like, you know what, look, you're going to have to like get back in the room because you're not present at all. Uh, and that's why I, to, I, I, was, I was speaking off camera, wasn't I, about having to take a bit of a break from all the socials because I was editing videos, doing new podcasts, doing all the social media posts, building PDFs for, you know, sponsorship asks and all this sort of stuff. And it was, it was just getting out of hand at one point. I wasn't, I wasn't looking after my kids. (laughs) 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 But working at the NSPCC, that's pretty important. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, amazing. Look, wish you lots of luck. I mean, I think it's, uh, I'm sure James and I can speak from experience. It is definitely hard work when you work in fundraising to fundraise for yourself. Yeah. Um, but look, we'll definitely pop a, pop a donation on there and, and, and help you get towards that target. Sounds that. great. Should we jump into some quick fire questions? I think we've stuck them on the end there. Question number one. If you could transport back in time and meet your 20 year old self, what piece of advice would you give and why? Um, I suffered a lot from anxiety back then. So I'd just say, don't stress about the small stuff. Like don't overthink things. I used to overthink a lot. So yeah, I'd, I'd definitely say that you're wasting a lot of time by overthinking very small things. How did you manage to get past that, Tom? Um, it took me a long time. I never resorted to medication, never, never went the medical route. I, I did a lot of yoga, a lot of meditation. I do a lot of Reiki, a lot of thinking is a pseudoscience and it might be, I don't know yet. Uh, yeah, so a lot of, um, a lot of like alternative therapy stuff and a lot of talking, a lot of understanding and, and realising that you're not the only one going through it and you're not the only body um, that's suffering from anxiety and actually chemically inside your brain, it's the natural process to feel anxious. Mm-hmm. It's just that your brain is wired to make you feel anxious in situations which aren't necessarily anxiety inducing Mm. so yeah just understanding that that the process behind it the biological physiological process behind it all is is really important yeah amazing um okay question number two can you tell us about one life hack or a productivity tool a skill or a habit that you've taught yourself recently that you think everybody needs to know about it's an in-depth question you could have prepared me on that it's interesting because we've had the best answer still so far. Still goes back to Haroon. <laughs> <What's it? laughs> banana on egg was that? Was that <laughs> banana and egg? Yeah, in a yeah. fry. No, was it was it banana and egg or was it pineapple and egg? Is it pineapple? Oh, oh, yeah, let's try them both. Let's but, yeah, know. we've had some right random ones which have been absolutely brilliant. Oh god, I'm going to come across really boring. <laughs> I can't think. The Quick App by GoPro is free and. It's amazing. It's like, not only have I found it just because we're doing the charity lads thing, but I've used it with my family and, and creating home videos with my two kids. Yeah. And it just takes a normal video shot on an iPhone to the very, very next level. And it just, it's just like, I've sent it to one of my families. I've put them on, um, I've sent them, you know, by WhatsApp to all the family. They've just been amazing. They've saved them. And it's just create an amazing video archive using this app. I would definitely recommend Anyone that's got a small business and is looking to create some really good video content to download the Quick App, or even if you've just got a family and you want to create better videos, then the Quick App is the one. There you go. Nice. That is nice. Uh, Final question for you. As a podcast that is focused on around people doing more good, 
What is your favorite story or inspiring individual you have met on your journey or recently or in a Madrid nightclub who has done something good for others? This is genuine. And I would say the most recent is the lady that is, and I won't mention her, but because she's quite modest, I won't mention her name, but she, she's the, the person that's solely running Facial Palsy UK. She suffers from facial palsy herself and she is an amazing woman who does I don't know how she's got her own life because she's she's doing everything she possibly can to help people that are suffering from the same thing that she suffered from and got no help for so she's just transformed her life to just look after and care for all of these people on her own whilst running all of the admin and the bureaucracy that run, that goes behind running a charity. So I'd, I'd definitely say she has inspired me this last sort of four, five, six months that we've been doing this. Amazing. That's a, that's a good one. Yeah. Look, Tom, we'll let you go. We can wrap it up there. Again, really great. I think lots of practical advice, lots of great insight into, into your role. So we really appreciate appreciate your time if anyone wants to reach out to you or or, or get in touch uh where can they find you yeah just, if you want to talk about the charity lads stuff just just search charity lads on all of the major social media networks will come up if you want to get in touch with me directly happy for anyone to email me or get me on linkedin tom.lemons at nspcc.org.uk perfect thank you james any final thoughts no, it's been really good. It's been really interesting to see mm. kind of as like you were talking about behind the curtain in the big, uh, the big celebrity world, and the first person to turn up in a tuxedo as well. So, very, very, <laughs> yeah, very nice. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right, well, well, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks a lot, gents, and we'll speak to everyone soon. Take care. Cheers, Thanks, mate. Guys. Thank you. Just before we go, can we ask you a favour? If you enjoyed this episode and you made it this far after all and want to help us reach more people and attract more guests, then we'd really love a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you haven't got anything nice to say, then say it in an email. Get in touch at contact at domoregood.uk and let us know how we can improve the show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another story of someone doing more good.